I guess I'm going to start this message um, with just a question. Show of hands, really. And that is, how many of us were here uh, last Tuesday night? How many of Whoa! No way! Wow! Gosh! There's a lot. There were a lot of people. There were a lot of people here. It felt, you know, it was felt packed in a way. And it was so, uh, you know, and what do we got? 92? Is that the official, uh, the official figure? And I bet you in 20 years it'll be 200. As well, people will say, they'll say, gosh, I, there'll be 200 people who said, yeah, I, will, I remember that very night. But we'll know. See, we'll know because we'll be able to describe exactly what it was like. If you were there, you know what it was like. You know that at that night, it was foggy. It was wet. It was rainy. And like the, the rain, it was like weird rain. You know when there's like weird rain, like it's coming from a different direction and stuff? It is weird, crazy. When I was driving here, normally it's about a 30 minute, a little over 30 minutes for me to get to my house to Deep River. It took me nearly an hour. And I was lucky to do it in an hour. When I did my GPS, I was like, oh my God, I was, I was just literally standing like in a parking lot on the highway. And when I came, when I put the GPS in, it said, you're going to be late. <laughs> it didn't even tell me the time. It said, you are going to be late. And anyway, I got here just in the nick of time, just in the nick of time. And I was coming in thinking, gosh, there would be probably, you know, normally when I've had, when I've had events where there's uh, like, conditions like that yeah I was thinking maybe 16 people show up you know 12 people show up sort of preaching to an empty crowd but it's packed it's electric I mean the energy was just amazing in the choir mm. I mean it was so power it was so powerful and so beautiful to hear and you know the preaching you know I don't know if you were there for the preaching portion of it It was inspired. Yeah, it was inspired. I used to preach at an AME church. We, I would do pulpit supply switch or whatever with an AME church there in Richmond, Indiana. And gosh, I sort of got used to the, you know, they sort of hold you on the palm of your hand while you're doing it. There's just such a dynamic there. It was just so wonderful and just, we, and you know, the best thing of all, we raised a lot of money for hungry people. We raised a lot of money for hungry people. We're going to help out a lot of people with this event. So that's the biggest blessing. And at the end of the night, we had a wonderful, wonderful meal, or repast, if you want to call it like that. It was almost deep river good. Almost deep. I mean, it was that good. It was that good. It was coming that close. And so it was really, really wonderful night. And it was one of the things that I just, oh, I just sort of wanted to keep it around for as long as I possibly could. Because I tell you right now, it is in my bones. It is in my bones. This just sort of the, the love of the music and the energy and, and those kinds of things. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I think I've mentioned this before. I'm a Levite. All right? I am from the tribe of, of Levi's son. In fact, my mother's maiden name was Livingston. But actually, it was my granddad changed it during World War II because he was going to Europe. But his real name was Levinson which is a very Jewish name, and I don't know if you're aware, there was some anti-Semitism during World War II. I mean, it was there. 
And so I'm from that tribe of Levi. I'm not an official Levite, though. It has to come from the dad and not the mom. So I know I'm not official, all right? So those taking score, you know, you can make that little mark on the little thing. Not an official Levite. But I'm going to tell you right now, I got it in my bones. You know, I just feel it. I just, if you noticed when I, I don't know if you noticed it, but I was up front and I was just swaying when they were singing and it's just something in me that I got to, I got to sing. I got to shout. You know, I got to just let it out. It's just part of who I am. And it makes sense a little bit because if you look at the history of the tribe of Levi and what they did at the temple, here, I'm just going to go a little bit. You know, if you know the tribe, there were 12 different tribes in the Bible. And all of them got land and the Levi's got nothing. Right? All they were allowed to do would be the priest. They were there to take care of the sanctuary cities. And part of their responsibilities is they were also the priest. In fact, maybe that's what they... They don't know exactly what it means, but they think maybe it means Levi means priest. Anyway, they did this for hundreds and hundreds of years, and, and they really were really important. But by the time Jesus comes about, Yeshua comes around, they have become sort of second-class priest. If you even want to call them second-class Whatever's below that. Economy. They, weren't, they were down. The, the, people, the people who were related to the people of Aaron, you know, that, that guy, Moses' brother, they were the top guys. They were the big deals. They're the ones who wore the long robes and the big hats and things and the gold jewels. And they were the ones sacrificing in the blood and the this and the burning and the this. They're the one going into the high place. The tabernacle, holy of holies. Now, the Levites couldn't do that kind of stuff anymore. What we would do, and it's sort of interesting what they were known for. If I were going to talk to you about 2,000 years ago, what you would have known Levites for was their musical abilities. And that was their primary role. And They had a number of different roles. They were craftsmen. They were the guards of the temple. But they were most well-known for their music. And I'm going to give you an idea. When the temple was back in those days, what the temple, the Jerusalem had sort of built out, and you could see the temple. And the temple was absolutely beautiful and, and marble, beautiful white and gold. And it sort of, it was so powerfully bright that it was hard to look at in the noonday sun. It was so beautiful, and there were many different courts to go into the temple, and they say that when you got to the very first sort of court of the temple, the, the Levites were singing, and they were playing their harps, and they said it was so beautiful. They were dressed in white. It's so beautiful, and it sounded so lovely. It was like going into heaven. It was so amazing. That's me. That's me. I'm supposed to... That's me. But it's not me. You know, I, I like to sing. I like to play or whatever. I one time played for some Nashville musicians. I played them all three country songs I know. All three of them. At the end of it, I said, Am I ready? Am I ready for Nashville? 
And I said, don't know if you're ready for anywhere. <laughs> Maybe nowhere. You know, it's in the heart, but I don't know if it's in the, the voice. You think about these beautiful hymns that we just read. That, that specifically, that one we just read. Here, I'm going to try not to lose my place in Timothy as I go back. Here, hold on, let me see. All right, it says, you have turned my wailing into dancing. You have removed my sackcloth or my, my torn clothes and clothed me with joy. And my heart will sing to you and not be silent. I will give you thanks, God, forever. You know, the, the funny thing about that is we do not know who wrote it. I mean, it says there, of David, but there's real controversy about whether, you know, Proof that David existed. King David existed. Um, there, I think he did, right? And I think there are some archaeological evidence to point to that. But whether he wrote songs and, and things, and, yeah, we don't know. In fact, most scholars will just say with most of the Psalms, we know that there were different authors for the Psalms, at least seven or six, uh, the number of different authors, but we really don't know who they are. Written throughout hundreds of years. And my guess, I'm just going to throw it out there, it was a Levite. And they just couldn't give him credit. Who would, I mean, who could write something, a Levite write something like this? I don't think so. That's my idea. I mean, I don't know. And then they had to give it to somebody else like David or someone. You know, a few nights ago, uh, well, actually, at that event, I'm go Rachel, I'm sorry, I'm going to put you on the spot. All right, and I can't remember their name. We sat down with a couple, and they were from Turner's Chapel AME uh, Church. And I cannot remember their names. I cannot remember their names. Do you remember their names at all? Walter and Sharon. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. Thank you. Well, they were the cutest couple you've ever seen in your life. I mean, they, were, they had been together 47 years. Does anybody here know Walter or Sharon? Does anybody know? Gosh, so cute. So adorable and beautiful together. Anyway, he was dating her in just a few, just literally a few weeks he was dating her. You know how it is in the very first few weeks. He wrote a song about her. He wrote a song about, I can't remember exactly how it goes. It's like, if I can't hold you or something like that, sort of a doo-wop kind of song. I did look it up. It actually, anyway, he, what happened was he wrote this song, and he saw in a magazine, he said, hey, if you're a songwriter, send us your song, and we'll see if we can make you famous. You know, give you like $10 or something. Anyway, so he sent them his song that he wrote. Like, why can't I hold you about Walter, it was Sharon, about Sharon. Walter did this. And he, and he never heard back. Never heard back from him. Six months later, six months later, he listened to the old radio. I don't know what channel it was. He hears his song on the radio. A hit. A super hit. I looked it up. It went to number eight on the charts. Somebody else sang it. Maybe they changed a word or two. And could you imagine what that would be like to know that that was your song 
on the radio. This guy, who knows what he? If I won't, I won't embarrass the dude. He had one song hit, one hit wonder, his song. It's just sad. You know that was his song. Somebody stole it. You know, 1 Timothy is a little bit like that. Here, I'm going to go back to 1 Timothy. That's also, you know, it's what is called the pastoral letters. We know that there's a couple different pastoral letters, and we know that they, they say that Paul wrote them, but Paul didn't write them. Because they're so different from everything else that Paul wrote, that we know Paul wrote. They use different vocabulary, different grammar. It would be literally like me trying to write a letter for, like, just Mark wrote this letter and never really... It's not going to come across for anybody. You just can't do it. And so we really don't know the author of 1 Timothy. We really don't. I, I like to think it's Timothy. A little bit like maybe if I said, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt is writing a letter, and he's writing it to his dear friend Philip. You know, maybe it was Timothy. Or We don't know. The, in the traditional uh, scholarship, there's a guy named Polycarp. Well, I'm not going to get into details. I know I can, ten, I can get into the weeds. I'm not going to tell you about a great guy. Great guy. Who knows? We don't know who wrote it. And he's a pretty controversial guy, especially what he said about women and people of different lifestyles and things like that. And there's some things, like he says, women should be submissive and silent in the church. It's pretty clear on that. Really? Is that how it works? You know, for some denominations, that's still true. That they, they're, they're just not allowed. For some, that's true. Is that how it works? He also labels a lot. He goes through a lot of lists of sinners. Right? These kind of sinners, they can't know God. And yet, I just think I remember Yeshua reminding me sometime. He said that the kingdom of God is full of sinners. And in fact, that the angels in heaven rejoice when one real sinner repents than when a thousand righteous do. And yet it goes to show me that somebody that sometimes I could really, really, really disagree with on something can teach me something very, very profound and beautiful. And that, and what he's saying is at this time, the, the church is very divided. There's lots of different denominations back then as well. And he's saying that there's a lot of people who think that you have to eat right in order to be a Christian or to know God. So you have to be, let's say, a vegetarian, or you have to eat this certain food on this certain day, or you have to do it like this or avoid that. And he's like, even though Yeshua says that we are, we are defined by not what we eat, but what comes out of our mouth our words, our heart, our lives and our deeds. It's not what we're... He, he, Jesus says that, and yet, whoever this guy is reminds us that. He says that all things, for everything God has created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word and prayer of God. Somebody that I, maybe I didn't agree with him on everything, but he's teaching me something that I need to know. I need to learn. Anybody have a good Thanksgiving? Did you? Yeah. Gosh, I learned that lesson as well. You know, I, 
I, I think it's important in any good meal on Thanksgiving to eat something you normally don't like. And what I have learned to do is, for me, this is the lesson of Brussels sprouts. All right? I, I've never been a big fan. But this year, and Rachel's family and has taught me the, the blessing and the benefit of Brussels sprouts. They're great. So this year, uh, Rachel and I and uh, the kids, or her kids, I should say, went to Southport to visit her parents. Uh, they live on the, the sea there, the ocean there. And we went there, and it was an amazing meal. Just an incredible meal. I loved it. And all of it was good. The turkey was good. The stuffing was good. It was all good. Uh, one of the things that was there was there, oh no, oh my gosh, I've lost my stuff. One of the things that was there was a squash, was a squash. And it was sort of an interesting squash because it was sort of had a big old, well, it, looked, it was a big squash. And it was divided in half. No, 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 it was a big squash and it had like a little fruit salad in it. And we divided it in half and Rachel and I split one and no one else ate any of it because I guess it looked weird. But it was really amazing. It was, it was probably the best part of the meal. You wouldn't think of it to look at it, but it was, really the most, it was really the most tasty thing in the whole meal. And I loved it so much. Again, you cannot judge something by the way it looks on the outside. Just because it looks a little weird doesn't mean it's not delicious or nutritious or all that wonderful stuff. You know, but the real most amazing thing that I remember from that meal, it was something that Rachel said afterward. I'm really putting you on the spot, hon. I'm sorry. And that was that somebody asked her, what was her favorite part of the meal? I mean, it's, it's the kind of question you can ask. I guess for me, it was the squash. But what Rachel said was really sort of very telling. She said, you know what? When I got all the food on my plate, I just sort of all mixed it together. It was all sort of mixed together, and so I can't really have a favorite part. The meal itself was so wonderful and tasty, but all of it was important. All of it was delicious. You can't separate a pea from a carrot or a piece of turkey from the stuffing. It was all part of the whole. You know, see, sometimes what I realize is why we have a choir. Because it allows for us to sing in harmony. You know, when, when, when I sing in a choir, when I sing in a group, there's a picking group, you know, when we're singing in harmony, it's great. As soon as they say, hit it, and it's just me, I begin to croak a little bit. See, I need the group. I need the choir to be able to get my very best voice. And I think that that's what church is, or meeting is, or a spiritual community. It's, it's that choir. It's that connection. It's that group. And we've got to be so thankful for our choir, for our group. And maybe you don't even sing in the choir. But you're a member of our choir. You give us your notes in your own way. You, you contribute. You play in your own way, whether it be these flowers or pulling chicken or, 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 or singing out loud or playing music or do whatever gift you bring. You're part of our choir.
And we've got to be thankful for all the gifts we're given, both seen and unseen. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to just say something, I hope this is all right, that if you have ever felt unrecognized or unnoticed or unappreciated by this meeting sometime in the last 50 years, I want to say, we're sorry. We're sorry. But we want to thank you for those gifts nonetheless. Thank you for, for everything, for being part of our choir, for sharing your spirit. All right, I'm going to close this message with this. Advent is coming. Christmas is coming. In fact, I may play a song called Christmas Time is Coming down the road. And so we're going to be losing, leaving Thanksgiving behind. But I want to say one thing. So what I was doing before I gave this message, I was going through my old hits, right, last week. And I, I finished last week with something. I said, gosh, I've got to finish this message with this one as well. I got to. And that is if I ask the question, y'all have a good Thanksgiving? And almost every one of you, I don't know, I wasn't paying attention. I heard a lot of yes. And I want you to know that if you had a wonderful, amazing Thanksgiving with your family this past week, a few days ago, I want you to be thankful for that family. Even if they drove you nuts. Even if they talked politics. Even if they didn't like the, the squash. Or, be thankful for that family because not everybody has a family. There are people in the hospital. I've worked Thanksgivings and Christmas where there were people who never got a visit. The chaplain was their only family. Maybe you said, well, I just went over with friends. You know, we just hung out. We watched some football. And Be thankful for those friends. Because uh, some people don't have friends. They just sit at home and maybe I'm on the computer. Or they, don't, they do not have friends. If you had a wonderful, maybe you just stayed at home. We just stayed at home, we're comfortable, warm. Gosh, there are people in this world who do not have a comfortable, warm home. So be thankful. If you had a wonderful meal and left so full, you never wanted to eat another meal again in your life, be thankful because there were some people who went to bed hungry that night. Let's be thankful. And you know what? The last thing I want us to be thankful for, be thankful for one another and ourselves. Because in, as we've done for 200 plus years and, and for the years of our lives still, we are going to need to take care of our, each other. So let's be thankful for Deep River Friends, that we care about one another, that we care about the hungry that we can see and the hungry we don't even see. Let's be thankful that we have a relationship with God. Because you know what I'm going to say right now? Not everybody has a relationship with God. Let us treasure the connections we have with one another, our Lord and our God, and let us treasure this moment of thanksgiving.